0: Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined, as always, by Chris Hill, the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock-investing radio show in America, who regularly, for some reason that is beyond me, spends his time with me. Chris, you do a daily show that literally hundreds of thousands of people listen to, but then you focus all your firepower like the AT-AT walkers in Star Wars. You, you—it's maximum firepower on WKXL. This show and this podcast, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure. It's the only place where I get compared to uh, Star Wars robots, so that's that's part of the appeal. Oh, we're gonna do we're gonna do movies. Actually, the the officer. <laughs>
0: the actor who plays the officer who calls for concentrate maximum firepower in that scene in empire strikes back is the same guy who ages about 20 years in, in like 10 seconds at the end of uh, Indiana Jones, Holy grail. So there's your, there's a little piece of movie trivia for the day. We're going to do much more on movies in a second, but got to do another upbeat topic, which is, Hey, the market's not sucking as much this week. What's going on. Why isn't the market sucking as much?
1: Isn't it wonderful when the market goes up? Uh, Yeah, last week, for those who don't uh, focus on the market day in and day out, like uh, my colleagues and I at The Motley Fool, last week, for the first time in eight weeks, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finished in positive territory. And it was the first time in seven weeks that both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 rose. So. Uh, among other things it's uh, it was nice relief for us as investors sort of going into Memorial Day weekend, uh, kicking off summer and I you know I think there are a few reasons why um, we saw what we saw last week. Um, one of them is the market had been falling um, to almost unprecedented levels and and just just so your listeners know this isn't hyperbole in terms of Um, sort of what had happened with the market falling, it was only the third time in history we saw a sustained drop like this. We'd seen more dramatic drops. Anyone who, you know, thinks back to the spring of 2020, you know, knows that in a very short amount of time, the market lost about 30% of its value, um, but quickly rebounded from there. So in term, but you know, this is a different kind of pain for us as investors. This right. was week over week, and once you hit a month, Matt, uh, it's really hard to avoid saying, okay, just couching your view in terms of, okay, is this the week that we're going to break the streak? It's been over a month now, and so that's why last week felt so good, even though. You know, you can step back and look at what has the market done since the start of the year. It's like it's still a pretty steep drop, but it was nice to see the bounce that we saw. And again, some of the biggest companies, some of the companies you and I talk about on a regular basis—Microsoft, Apple, Amazon—you know, Facebook, uh, Meta Platforms. Excuse me, I know at least a couple of your listeners are like, you know, they changed their name, but yes, it's Meta Platforms now. Um, you know, some of the biggest companies. Have seen such pullback in their stock prices that it's to the point where a lot of analysts on Wall Street and a lot of people I work with are starting to look at the stocks and say, Well, wait a minute. Even if you thought these stocks were overvalued beforehand, some of them are trading 30, 40 percent where they were at the beginning of the year, 30 or 40 percent lower. So it's like, okay, let's let's uh, try and take a, a fresh set of eyes and look at these businesses and say, wait a minute do we really think this business is 40% worse than it was in January? And more often than not, in the case of the biggest companies in America, the answer is no, it's not. So just so I follow, it seems like what happened here is
0: that since the start of the year, the bears were treating investors the same way that the bear and the revenant treated Leo DiCaprio. And it it was a mauling and it was prolonged and the audience was beginning to get pretty darn sick of it. And finally, we got, what, like a dead cat bounce here where it it seems like there wasn't one single moment of like, oh, actually, things are fine. It was more like, hey, you know, maybe we've really gone far enough and things are underpriced.
1: Last week, we had a company. um, It's one of the biggest companies in America, but it's not really a household name in the way that Apple and Microsoft are. A company called NVIDIA, a hugely important company there, a graphics chip maker. Uh, they came out with an earnings report um, and guidance. And, you know, I'll just ballpark this by saying their earnings were good. They were not amazing. They were basically as good as they were three months ago. But three months ago, they came out with a good earnings report. Again, hugely important company came out with a good earnings report, and their stock got punished. And at the time, I remember uh, I was talking with some of my colleagues and we said, oh, wait a minute, This is we're, we're in a really bad place right now in the market. If a company as strong and as profitable as NVIDIA, if their stock is getting punished for the earnings report that they just put up, then we are in for some pain here as investors. Last week, they came out, again, good earnings report, stock finished up, I think, 6 or 7% for the day. And it was one of those things where we thought, okay, well, you know, you, you never want to be the person who's like, I'm calling the bottom. I'm calling the bottom of the market, because that's a, a losing proposition to try and time the bottom of the market. But uh, I looked at what happened with NVIDIA stock last week as a sign that, all right, we're, we're going to um, take our time with some of these bigger, sustainably profitable companies, and we're not just going to randomly sell off their shares. Um, and in the case of Nvidia, the stock bounced up nicely and it it helped lift the market. It was part of the success of last week. Do you get
0: the feeling that irrationality is on the rise in the market? and i I, I say that because the last couple of years have seemed to be an exercise in a random walk, a a a an untethering, of market reality from economic reality. You have, I mean, I think the way The Atlantic put it is the market liked COVID more than inflation for some fakakta reason. And it just feels like the last seven, eight weeks have been another sign of this where all of a sudden everyone wakes up and says, hey, we don't feel good. And then there's kind of one of these butterfly effect Type, you know, chaos theory moments where that's kind of a runaway sensation. And then for reasons that I I guess I don't fully appreciate, people wake up and say, hey, you know, maybe we went a little too far with that. Does that, am am I way off base on that or are you getting that feeling as well?
1: You're not way off base, and I, I want to come back to what you said about irrationality because I think that's really important, Matt. I will say, in terms of inflation, there is an entire category of businesses out there that have that did well during the pandemic, um, and have not fared well as inflation has loomed its ugly head over the past, let's call it, eight to ten months. Um, and it's businesses that are not yet profitable, and the story of the business for Wall Street is, hey, we're not profitable yet, but we're investing our money to grow our business and profitability is coming down the line. And a key part of that whole business plan is we're going to keep borrowing money, or we're going to keep raising money by doing secondary offerings of our stock. And those things are predicated on money being cheap. And once the borrowing cost of money goes up, then that entire category of stock is in trouble because all of a sudden it's like, oh, you, you're you're telling us this story, and it's based on you being able to borrow money at essentially zero percent interest rate from now until the end of time. And as soon as interest rates go up, you're you know, I'm sorry, we're no longer interested in your stock, or we're far less interested. So that's that's a real thing that has affected. Um, huge categories of stock, and I think has, in some cases, taken profitable businesses with them. In terms of the irrationality, keep in mind um, two things, Matt. One, you're absolutely right. This is a real thing that happens. Um, but the thing I want to emphasize for your listeners is it happens both ways. It happens in both directions. When the market is tanking the way it has over the last couple of months, really good, strong, profitable companies get sold off, And if you're an opportunistic investor, and you're looking to add money in down times, you need to look at these businesses as being on sale. So that happens. But it also happens the other way. There were stocks in 2020 that got bid up to the moon. There was irrationality on the positive side, where unprofitable businesses were uh, seeing their stocks triple in a single year. Uh, you know, the market historically doubles every seven years. So for anything to double or triple in a single year, uh, you need to ask why is that happening? Now, nobody really gets all that upset when there's when the irrationality happens to the plus side. when it's like, well, I, it doesn't make sense that my stock just went up 30% in a single day, but I don't care because my stock just went up. When it's going down 30%, that's when it really matters. Well, I guess the bears get upset and they're like, look,
0: I was expecting to eat Leo DiCaprio. Hey, speaking of eating Leo DiCaprio, I teased at the top of the show that we were going to talk about movies. We love talking about movies. And now I'm going to take a note out of the playbook of Chris Hill, experienced radio host, one of the top radio hosts in America, who just did an episode with Michael Lewis, probably the best author, the best all around author in America today. And that that interview is in the Motley Fool Money podcast feed, which I urge people to check out and we're going to tie back to it. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So that's another tease. That's a tease on top of a tease, but let's do the movie one before we go any further. You think that the success of top gun Maverick is worth watching. Why?
1: First of all, congratulations to Tom Cruise, biggest uh, opening weekend of his career. I'm glad something positive finally happened for Tom Cruise. Um,
0: we were all really worried about that.
1: We were all real worried. Tough life. Uh, uh, Not adjusted for inflation, Top Gun Maverick took in over $155 million at the box office this weekend. Biggest Memorial Day weekend opening ever. And a lot of attention is is focused on movie theater stocks like AMC. But I actually think that uh, that's sort of... um, missing the larger picture. I think I think this opening this weekend um, does more for the studios themselves than it does necessarily for movie theater stocks. Paramount is the movie that produced Top Gun Maverick. They have their own streaming service. Um, I, I think that within companies like Paramount, and Disney, within these studio companies, there has been a conversation going on behind closed doors. And the really it's a debate. And the debate is how much should we focus on streaming? How much should we focus on movie theaters? And the people within those companies who have been arguing in favor of movie theaters, in favor of saying, no, we need our big tentpole movies and we need to not put them straight on our streaming service We need to put them in movie theaters and build anticipation around the streaming service. Those people got a lot of fodder for their argument this weekend. I think this really validates a box office strategy for producers. And by the way, that's been a hugely profitable strategy for companies like Paramount and Disney over the years. So as a Disney shareholder, even though it's not Disney that produced Top Gun Maverick, uh, I'm happy with the results and what this means. I think that I think it's important to have sort of that separation between the movie theaters and the streaming services. I think that for Paramount, it's going to be great when they're able to eventually later this year market the tap Top Gun Maverick is coming to their streaming service. I think that will drive signups for them. Um, you know, again, the movie theaters; uh, those are stocks that I think still uh, and businesses that still have a lot of Uh, questions to answer. But I think that the the ripple effect for the studios and the streamers, that's the one to watch. Speaking of giant egos that might at
0: times be writing checks that bodies can't cash, I want to talk about corporate leadership because it's a theme that we return to on the show often. You're something of, I don't know if evangelist is going too far, but you're a dedicated believer in the value proposition of strong, thoughtful corporate leadership. And you're seeing more evidence in the marketplace right now that that kind of
1: leadership matters. What are you seeing? Leadership always matters. And uh, there are a lot of investors out there who like to focus on the strength of an underlying business. Warren Buffett is famous for uh, saying, and I'm I'm going to butcher this slightly, but saying uh, essentially, um, I I like to invest in businesses that are idiot proof because you never know someday an idiot may be running the business. Um, but uh, while that's great to see, um, at the Motley Fool we we even more than that we like to see great business leaders, particularly people who have founded companies because they have typically a lot more skin in the game. Um, we're at a point right now where management always matters, but right now it matters more than usual because of what's happening with the market, what's happening this uh, earnings season that, that we're just about to wrap up here. We've seen it particularly in the retail industry where some retail executives have done a great job, not just in leading their businesses through this tough time, but in communicating with Wall Street, with everyday investors like you and me about what they're seeing, what their plans are, what adjustments they're making. Um, I think about companies like Costco, uh, Ulta Beauty, which is a, a beauty products chain. Um, the dollar stores uh, last week put up some great reports, uh, Dollar Tree, Dollar General. Um, and Somewhat surprisingly to me and to others who, who do this for a living, it was really surprising earlier in the earnings season to see the stumbles from experienced CEOs at Walmart and Target, um, not just in terms of the way that they communicated what their, what their quarters were like, but also in terms of what actually happened in their quarters. Uh, Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, who's done such a good job running that company for close to a decade now, came out and talked about how they blew the inventory. They got it wrong. Um, they've done such a good job with apparel and they got that part wrong. Um, we, we probably should not have been surprised when Ulta beauty came out with great results last week, because a couple of weeks prior when target had their report, one of the few, uh, really signs of strength within targets business was in the health and beauty product line. So, um, I, I think this is a time to, you know, if you're, someone who owns individual stocks use this as an opportunity to check out, well, who are the people running these companies that I own? And what are they doing? You know, How are they doing in terms of communicating? Um, it truly is one of those parts of investing that I think is a little bit easier than the other parts. A lot of people get intimidated around the math of investing in individual businesses, but the math is really math that we all learned in in grade school and middle school, you know, it's not advanced calculus. Uh, if it was, I would not be a stock investor because I barely made it through calculus. And once I was done with calculus in school, I've never used it in my adult life. Uh,
0: you know, I, I I identify with it. I, look, I thought I I thought it was going to be, I was going to pursue an econ PhD. It Turns out that my limitations in linear algebra were a little bit too much to overcome. All right, look, I, I teased. Michael Lewis, a few minutes ago, and I want to give the people what they want, uh, which is more Michael Lewis. You had a great interview with Michael Lewis. But I don't want to just tie back to that. I want to tie back to a couple of threads that we've started to weave throughout this episode. One is this idea that, you know, there, there's, there's a real difference in leadership, in, in management, at the CEO level, at the executive level of companies. And the other is that maybe there's an increase in irrationality in the marketplace, that maybe real-world economic performance isn't as tied to market performance as we'd like to see, or perhaps as much as it's been in the past. I was reminded of all of that in the course of your Michael Lewis interview, because his outstanding podcast, Against the Rules, has an episode that focuses on this question of CEO compensation, how much we value these leaders economically, and you know, he has a rather, a rather tough interview with an executive compensation expert where he basically says, look, are, are, are these folks really worth $10 million, $20 million, $40 million a year? Is that, is that the value proposition that's there? If you look back, you were just saying that the Walmart and Target CEOs who are otherwise well-regarded seem to have been bringing value for many years. Now they have some stumbles. It, the point is that everyone has some hits and some misses. And that irrationality thing is, you know, the market may not be rewarding actual performance. They may be rewarding all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the value that's created for investors. After talking to Michael Lewis and given all of these things that I just threw at you at 90 miles an hour, that's an example of the Doppler effect, by the way, which is the propensity for dumb ideas to sound smarter if they come at you really, really fast. I mean, putting all of that together, what do you make? Of this question of CEO compensation that Michael Lewis has has covered after talking to him, is it in line with the real value, the leadership value that that you think exists out there?
1: So, for those who are unfamiliar, um, Michael Lewis, absolutely, for my money, is the the best nonfiction writer in America, and he's written books that have been turned into movies, books like Moneyball and The Blind Side and The Big Short. And he has a podcast called Against the Rules. And the third season is is just wrapping up now. And he covers different themes throughout each season of Against the Rules. And as you mentioned, you know, in the previous season, did an episode on CEO compensation. In this current season, he has an episode called Six Levels Down, where he basically explores The theme of the podcast this season is expertise. And in the episode entitled Six Levels Down, he explores this idea that um, oftentimes the person in an organization, and it can be a company, it can be a public company, it could be a private company, it could be a government agency. Oftentimes the person who can solve the problem is six levels down. They are six levels removed from the CEO or the leader of the company. And uh, one of the things I said in my conversation to him was, I, I feel like um, in the same way that uh, college students, maybe in their first year, every student is required to read the same book. You know, there's required reading. Um, I feel like the six levels down episode should be required listening for every CEO in America for a couple of reasons. One, I think any CEO who listens to it will immediately, hopefully, uh, immediately start to think about how their organization is put together. And they will more quickly demand answers um, when problems arise. In terms of CEO compensation, the one thing I think that's easy to overlook about compensation is it can be structured a lot of different ways. Um, There there are CEOs who um, have an enormous salary um, they're paid more than uh, the highest paid professional athletes. Um, there are other CEOs who, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, sort of the founder leader of a business. Um, more often than not, their compensation is tied up in stock. And in that sense, uh, their interests are aligned with shareholders. Um, they you know, if they, if they do well, if the business does well, then all shareholders will benefit and they, being shareholders of the company, will benefit as well. Um, but I think that um, it's tempting to sort of look at CEO compensation and just look at the top line number. Um, and that's the easiest thing to do, because usually you just get a big number. But I think it's always important to say, well, h- how is that number put together? How did they get to that number? Because if it's, if it's a CEO being paid $100 million a year in cash, um, I would have, I would love to hear the justification for that, um, because I think that would be very tough to justify, as opposed to someone who's paid, you know, look, if you if you're running a fifty billion dollar company, um, then you probably should be making um, uh, at least a, a compensation that has a bunch of zeros in it. I'm not sure what the exact number is, but again, we always like to see at the Motley Fool, we always like to see those numbers aligned with shareholders. Um, but yeah, I think it's to go back to the point I made earlier about like irrationality happens in both directions. When the market's going up, nobody cares really that the market is irrational. It's the same thing with CEO compensation. You don't hear that many complaints about CEO compensation for companies whose stocks have doubled in a short amount of time, it's when the stock gets hit that people start to say, "Okay, wait, this is your compensation. What are you doing to fix this?" Well, and oh boy, there's so
0: much to unpack in this between the the idea of irrationality and how untied performance is, and you know, to to actual compensation. And when times are good, we kind of look the other way and ignore. I, I really want to talk about all these themes, but I guess we're gonna to have to save it to our next episode because we are running out of time here all right chris hill we are bookmarking this we're going to talk more about it
1: for chris hill i'm matt robeson we'll see you next time